0: And then we can get started. So thank you so much uh, for joining the March 2022 club meeting. And we have an awesome guest and club member, Peter Fold, that's going to go over a uh, a presentation about whole malting and even maybe touch on his, uh, his automated machine that he's got a prototype of. That sounds really cool. Uh, and so he'll be going through that after we go through some of uh, the, you know, club notes, uh, updates, events, things like that. And then if you guys have anything that you want to bring up, um, yeah, go, go for it. Uh, so there's a couple of items that I have in my list. One that I'll go through. And then since Stu was so kind to join this time, um, maybe he can touch on, I did summarize some of the things in regards to a party. Party that uh, Stu is like the he's the I'm gonna call him the party planner because he's he's got a lot of great ideas. But uh, before we do that, one really cool thing that I wanted you all to know about uh, is that the National Homebrew Competition uh, registration is open and it's open between the 22nd and the 29th. That means there's three more days to register for that. And once it's full, it's full. You can't register. Uh, the shipping window for that is May 24th to June 3rd so if you're looking to brew beers for that competition um then you need to think about those dates obviously to ship i think it's uh, homebrew con is where that judging is being done that's in pittsburgh this year so plan on shipping your beers i believe to pittsburgh uh, not sure about that new in 2022 i don't know if you guys saw this this is pretty cool There is a dedicated gluten-free category. Um, It's category 35A, according to what I just submitted this morning. Uh, Now, you guys, uh, we've kind of debated this on the Facebook page for many, many uh, times and for over the last couple of years. Uh, Some people say don't even go into the previous category, which is alternative grains. Uh, So this competition is a little bit special, I think, because they've created a dedicated gluten-free category, which is not a BJPC type thing. It's like they just went off on their own and did that. Uh, So that's really cool for our club. I know some people will just say, hey, just submit your beers into the native category go ahead and do that if you want uh we're we're not uh, you know it doesn't bother me i i i would personally say and stewards and i had kind of i am back and forth about this i mean it would be pretty cool to have a bunch of beers submitted into that new category even though it's you know uh, it's not a native category style um just because it's something special they created, right? Um, So that category has, I'll just read you kind of the brief description of that. It it says, seeing a rise in interest in gluten-free beers, the competition is introducing a GF category this year. Um, they go on to specify things pretty specifically you know. here. So all ingredients must be free of gluten within the framework of these guidelines. Beers brewed with barley, wheat, spell, rye, and other gluten-containing ingredients may not be categorized as gluten-free. Gluten-free beers that may contain malted grains that are gluten-free. Gluten-reduced should not be entered into this style. So um, I think from historical perspectives that some people got uh a little hotter to the collar for some of the winners of the alternative grains categories um you know just like throwing rye into their ipa and calling it you know alternative right so um this category is something that's available for us to to um you know brew and submit to um so if you want to do that you have to be an aha member um it's 29 dollars to enter One of the big things I found last year that was difficult is it takes a bunch of beers. Uh, You have to send a bunch of beers, right? So you have to send, because they did it, they did it, started doing it differently because of COVID, I think. Um, So it's six 12 ounce bottles or four 20 ounce bottles is what you have to send. And you send them all at once. So they don't have these regional um, places where they're judging and then a final, they just do it all at once. Um, So... I thought I would mention that as something that's kind of cool. I had emailed the the guy that runs at John Moorhead a while back and Dave, what's his name? Carpenter, maybe. Uh, and they were, they were pretty receptive to, they said, Oh, take it up with BJCP. And of course that went to a whole pile of nothing. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I think that, you know, they've definitely gotten input from people in this club about, you know, how that would be pretty cool to have. So, um, I'm going to submit a beer in that category. Um, and I hope other people do as well. So if you are going to do that, you have three days to sign up. Awesome. So the next item is this idea of having a, a club 2022, uh, party in the summer. And, I put a um a poll up on the Facebook page uh, maybe a week ago or something like that to see selfishly um to see if people want to have it in Seattle, right? uh, uh <laughs> But of course, uh, the consensus was nah we don't want to do that. Uh that sucks. Seattle sucks. So we want to do it down in Portland. I think there's a large group of uh membership that are in Portland, and I have no problem doing it in Portland. I think that's awesome. Um and I think it's cool maybe over time to have it at different places, you know, um, and experience those, you know, maybe other commercial locations. So I think at this point, we are probably going to look to do it in Portland. And late summer was what Stuart and I were throwing around, but we're open for anyone's um you know, comments or what they think would be your best. But uh, the date we were actually looking at Stuart, now we're looking at was August 27th. Um, And in addition to that, since neither Stuart and I are in Portland area, um, it would be great if we got a club member or two that's down in that area that could help with coordinating, planning, yada, 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 stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So... Other than that, so uh, Stuart, you had sent me like a laundry list of brainstorming ideas that I have written down here, but um, I would just be happy to toss, toss it to you to kind of <laughs> like just, so we were tossing around ideas of things that would be cool um, and not necessarily having to do all those, but just kind of maybe, do you want to just kind of brush on a couple of those? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So
1: um, yeah, so just in terms of location and stuff, I think, I think the question marks are, you know, timing, location, and then how many people would we be hosting and, and do we, you know, where would we host it? You know, I'm not, I think the last, and the first and last party was, was a groundbreaker. And I wasn't there, unfortunately for that, but that sounded like a good time. Um, I don't know if we can assume that that's an option or not. Uh, Probably, obviously we need to talk to different people, but, and Kim, you've got, you got a thought on that? Are you
2: um, I noticed that Jason Yerger offered Mutantis. Oh, did he? Oh, okay. I was
1: wondering and about there's that. there's
2: actually place. a restaurant that's entirely gluten-free next door oh, too. So that oh, might actually cool. be a pretty cool place yeah. to do
0: it. Yeah. yeah have, have, Kim, a uh, question on that. Have you been inside the... the... Uh, mutantus before is it what and from a size perspective i know that groundbreaker the back room where we had it before was it's pretty small but how, from it's the more, size
2: it's even more cramped now because they just got they got more equipment
0: <laughs> so is is jason's uh, place bigger than that i would uh, say uh, the
2: Jason...
0: the back part i would say
3: kim is bigger than groundbreaker for, okay. for well, i haven't members.
2: seen that but the the I front know. is small but in the summer he has an area outside and they yeah. share between okay. Tawali Boy. That yeah. It should be plenty big enough, I would think, outside, especially. Yeah,
0: that's okay. cool.
1: Okay, cool. Okay, okay. so we, yeah, so that's the kind of stuff I guess we need to firm up if this is actually going to happen. And yeah, yeah. So just some of the ideas that we were kicking around were uh, uh, obviously I, I, I get together, see if we can, um, if we can, if we can get a bunch of different beers from from different commercial breweries. That would be awesome if we could share some home brews as well. I think that would be great when one mashup of that idea was to uh, do a kind of a March Madness ladder idea, sort of a, a people's choice award where we'd, we'd have uh, brackets of, of home brews and commercial beers, blind tasting, and coming up with a uh, Semifinalists and finalists, you uh, know, not too not too serious competition, but just sort of a, uh, a, a, a whatever. End of the day, Saturday revealing of a crowd favorite. Uh, so that was one of the ideas. And then, kind of on the more nerdy side, or just you know, sort of a club perspective. If you know, if there are opportunities, if we really had the full day, say people assembled on, you know, we're in Portland by Friday night, and we had all day Saturday. You know, there is maybe some opportunities to do some stuff that we talk about, and you know, where where all the sensory stuff is up to you in your in your uh, your house and whatever with in your backyard, where we could be doing some stuff together. That could be interesting. So, you know, whether that's hop samples or triangle tests for different kind of malt combinations and beers, and you know, actually do some uh, you know sort of. Um, Brewing experiments—that—that that could be one idea. Um, um, an equipment yard sale, I guess, is another thing that that came up. If people have got equipment that they have to to move on, or they're looking for stuff, that might be another opportunity to, to bring people together. And of course, I'm you know, I hope as a guy who has to go across the border to get my grain, uh, be good to to maybe do a grain kind of purchase and and uh, you know have have uh, the different retailers there to, to provide their the stuff that we that we've ordered and have a pickup so that was maybe two or three of the ideas that we were kicking around but i'm sure there are other fine ideas out there
0: i think that the other couple ones that i wrote down was um t-shirts um, yeah. and stickers you know maybe doing another t-shirts and and have them pick bottle up there what was that
2: bottle openers
0: yeah exactly um so there's i mean there's definitely a lot of ideas and i think that this the goal was just to get people together right um and to have a good time that's that's as simple as it is right and for me like all that other stuff could be tossed aside and i just want to drink beer with some people that um are like-minded people right um the other stuff is just kind of icing on the cake right so uh, we could do a tour of all of the breweries
4: in Port, the portland area <laughs> yeah do, do uh, yeah. a gluten-free pub crawl
3: <laughs> yeah i mean we could we could like pre we could do a day before to anybody who wants to come down on a on a friday or something like that or you know donuts on sunday or something like that the other idea i don't know did anybody mention like brewing together sort of thing Oh, yeah. Um, Because that's that's always kind of a thing. So I know that I know that um, I I mean, I'm I'm team Bruzilla when it comes to my pilot system. Brian knows this. Um, Yeah. Right. Uh, Kim's got a Bruzilla and uh, Kim's in Portland. Uh, Jason's got a 35 liter Bruzilla that he's uh, using now as a pilot system up at Mutantis. I've got a, a five gallon mash and boil that I could uh, lend to that's already converted for gluten-free. All of these are already converted for gluten-free. And then I also have a 65 liter heavily modified uh, 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 bruzilla that's also great for gluten-free. That takes 220 power, which I don't think Jason has, but all those other ones are all 110. So we could potentially brew multiple styles uh, and and go through some stuff uh you know with skills skills and different things like that because there's definitely you know for some of us um each one could be like a different kind of extended skill that we're just like showing people like hey you know here's how to here's one way to uh brew with 50 percent buckwheat and not hate your life uh for the day (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's a great idea, and and even milling and and seeing what a a crush looks like for you know people who are new to that. Yeah, I think that's a a fantastic idea. Yeah, we kicked that one around, but I think that's a I think that just extends that idea even more, just having it as a bit of a learning opportunity too, depending yeah. on where you're, where you're at.
3: Yeah, and we know that those three those three systems that are all five gallon systems, those are already within you know forty miles of Jason's place. So
4: yeah, okay. and I could bring my my. Uh, Oh, what's that that new mill i bought
3: oh um, yeah your uh your maltzilla or something like that
4: yeah maltzilla i was trying to remember the name yeah. but it'd be fun to run like compare that side by side with um jp's mill.
3: yeah i've got the free home proto- i've got the prototype uh monster uh brewing hardware i was uh the one that prototyped that and then handed the specs over to brian uh, Kolosinski uh, for the gluten-free edition for that yeah. so okay, mine I, I think that I think the only difference with mine is I believe uh, I, I know I have heat treated rollers I don't think the gluten-free edition has the heat treated rollers but uh, I, I got no, heat-treated I have that
2: rollers. one the
3: mm-hmm. heat treated rollers yeah no
2: I, they don't have heat treated rollers I have oh, the, okay. the one that Brian sells
3: so that's the only difference other than that oh, I've got the extension on mine too but um, they're they're exactly the same
0: yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, those are all great ideas. So uh, I think that what we want to do is just lock in a date and a place as soon as possible. And the other stuff can kind of, kind of go around that. Um, so um,
2: if you guys need some help since I'm down here, just just message me and I'll do what I can. Oh,
0: perfect. Thanks, Kim. Awesome. Uh, that's great. And we hope that everyone can, I know, Peter, you're like kind of far away, but. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, everyone is welcome right Come everyone peter, is welcome yeah i you know i might just win the
5: lottery into them
0: yeah, yeah yeah so um okay cool we want to get some time for peter his present so before we do anyone else have anything um that they want to mention um brian i think you had mentioned something about your store how you had uh different malts in the stock you yeah mention anything yeah about that i've
4: got um I'm restocked on uh, the pale oats. See, I've got all the the three oat malts in. I've got pale millet and I've got sorghum malt back in. Um, so sometimes it's a little bit of a challenge getting <laughs> yeah.
0: get, getting the, the supplies in. So I've got them stocked up now, though. Are they like stuck on a boat in like the Suez Canal or something? Or
4: oh uh, no, it's more of building up enough money to oh, yeah. make a sizable order so that the shipping makes sense right because right. shipping from across the country can get like i think the pal- or the half pallet was still 200 so i really have to buy half a pallet to have it make sense and the oats i get out of ohio but i just saved that for when i was um i went to cleveland
0: okay
3: shipping is no joke right now um oh, yeah. in the chat Beautiful. in the chat window i threw that uh a five gallon uh size batch of the native land ipa uh on the chat window in the and you know, that's in
1: put that up on our, our
3: uh, that's we- fine yeah and that's uh that's beer smith um kay. you know what okay. let me let me make sure that my brewer's name is on that too before you throw that up okay. i might throw another version on that okay yeah yeah
0: sounds good all right excellent uh anyone else with any hot topics before we get into the meat of the
2: i had fun at she brew i got to do oh, a collab I... brew with groundbreaker
0: yeah oh great what did you and what, what did you brew it's
2: more stout nice yeah. it's pretty good <laughs> is it
0: just was it just put on kegs um or or that's what you it? got in your hand right oh cool Look at that. limited
1: edition yep
0: oh nice awesome. you, and you have and they only they only have that in the cans in the tap room they're not distributing those or
2: um they're selling it at, at mutantus so maybe oh, you okay. have to ask jesse about that
0: okay cool Um, awesome but
2: it's it's on tap at the tap room and they're selling cans of it nice nice 50 pounds of campfire marshmallows were roasted to go into the beer
0: (laughs) that's nuts
2: (laughs) holy mackerel
0: like one at a time
2: (laughs) no they had them like laid out it's crazy.
3: So, 100 pounds of campfire marshmallows were devoted to this project because the brewers ate it's half of them.
2: <laughs> oh, no,
3: no, no, but but everybody had to eat half of them. You know. Oh
2: well, that might happen too. I don't know.
4: <laughs> you gotta take a bite of out of each one, so you get that, the amylase enzymes.
2: <laughs> nope, they're <laughs> not good.
0: Destroy it. <laughs> Yummy. With quality control. uh okay so let's give peter some time for his presentation so without further ado um peter has um, uh, uh, a lot of experience in the whole malting front uh i think um out of necessity than out of uh, in a lot of respects and i'm sure he'll go through that so uh peter i'm going to give the floor to you and um I, th- I think I might need to allow you to share your screen. So let me turn that on and go ahead. And if you want to try sharing your screen now. Oh yeah. Um, thanks.
5: Uh, okay, nice. So uh, yeah, thanks uh, everyone for joining. Um, I have to, uh, uh say up front, I don't know how to melt uh, marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I'm uh, logged in here with two accounts, actually. Where one is a backup, so let me just uh, uh, make a quick change, and I'm gonna stop the video because I will be. Uh, uh I'm sharing the the screen anyway, and that's where the. But that's where our focus should be. Can you guys hear me well?
2: Yes, sir.
5: Yes, okay, thanks, great. So I'm gonna start uh, the presentation here. Um, can, can you also see the, my screen? Yes, sir. Nice, nice, thank you. Okay, so yeah, welcome. Uh, I'm honored by the presence of each and every one of you. So um, uh, a quick introduction, as uh, Keila said, I'm a home master by uh, necessity. Uh, You can see on this map, uh, 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 I'm located quite far from, uh, I think, all of you, uh, Mm -hmm. western part of Hungary. And, uh, you know, the landscape here is very different. Uh, uh, Gluten-reduced beers are marketed as uh, gluten-free still, and those cover the market. So there is uh, very little happening on the uh, genuine uh, gluten-free scene. Um, unfortunately in all of Europe. Uh, and uh, so it's not a surprise, I guess, that uh, gluten-free, genuinely gluten-free malts and homebrew kits and whatnot, they are uh, not uh, available. So um, about six years ago, when I first uh, uh, found out about genuine gluten-free beers and I started uh, uh, thinking about the, uh, try and make some. Um, I actually came across uh, this legendary uh, Andrew Lowery, so- sorry if I'm not pronouncing correctly, um, tutorial. And uh, I totally recommend that to anyone. It is still uh, uh, still one of the best resources up there on the internet and uh, by the way uh, this uh, presentation we will uh, of course uh, put online and uh, um, you will be able to uh, uh, read through this uh, material if uh, you find it uh, if you find any information um, interesting so yeah um, and uh, i would like to ask you if uh, any any of you have uh, um uh, tried uh, molting uh, yourselves already, or if you are thinking about doing it, uh, uh, what, what is uh, um, uh, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I I tried. Um, well, I've never tried malting, but I did do like the Ed Golden, like soak the um, pale. I think it was pale millet in, mm-hmm. turmeric, and then yeah, uh, roast it to get like your uh, your own kind of caramel millets. But I've I'm personally not thought about malting grains because. I just buy them, right? And they get shipped in the yeah. house, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how did, uh, how did that turn out,
5: uh, the, uh, the uh
0: Yeah, it turned out pretty good. I think that um, it took a way longer. I think I had too much water in there, so it took a way longer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it became like an all day kind of experience um, because I had too much water in there. So I think yeah. that definitely it would require some experimentation. And I think if you're trying to get darker roasts, you have to be pretty careful about um, burning things because it happens pretty quick. Okay. So what you did there is actually, if uh,
5: if I understood that correctly, is, uh, is basically the equivalent of creating a crystal mode. So it's like uh, yeah, also yeah. using, it yeah. was uh, also basically basically mashing the grains uh, in the oven right and uh, that that actually if, um, uh, the crystal mold would have the have similar uh, uh, properties to it okay well uh, I, I really I mean my uh, part of my goal here is uh, is uh, to demystify malting a little bit so it's not um, you know, it's not super crazy complicated. It's actually pretty simple, but what's uh, what I think is complicated about it is is definitely uh, um, um, making, uh, getting, getting really good quality at the end Mm -hmm. is, is is that I guess could be complicated, but if somebody wants to try it, I mean, the worst thing that can happen is that you have to uh, clean your kitchen and, and uh, throw some grains out uh, to the garbage or the chickens.
0: Uh, okay, so. Oh, it looks like Brian's got his hand up. Do you have a question, Brian? Oh, I was raising my hand because the first,
4: that last slide said, raise your hand if you. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got a, um, there's a, a little secret so, sort of, what do you call it, advance peak um, I might be working with a local meadery on uh, some gluten-free beer, and they exclusively and only use products may even grown in Michigan. So we're looking into some some options, and malting on our own might end up being one of them.
5: Okay, sounds ah, cool. sounds good. Cool. Yeah, sounds exciting. Uh, yeah, maybe you could uh, tell us about that later.
0: Or you can use some of this presentation to figure out how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I
5: think I have to do that part first. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Um, yeah, by
5: the way, I want to... There will, will be some practice and some theory I will talk about here. I, I would like to get uh, through it uh, um, uh, relatively quickly, and then we can have a discussion and, and Q&A. So uh, I, guess, I guess it... Uh, um, it's worth sticking <laughs> to the till the end. So, uh, uh, just a quick one-on-one, like how you can uh, do um, very basic uh, uh, gluten-free uh, uh, malting process at home. These, these are some pictures that I I took uh, uh, in uh, the beginnings. Uh, so. I would start with the lentils or buckwheat. And uh, I will talk about this more later, but uh, there is a difference bec- uh, between uh, gluten-free grains, uh, how difficult they are to germinate uh, um, and malt. And uh, I, I would say lentils and buckwheat are the easiest. So uh, that's uh, the most likely you will have some, some great results, um, uh, steep the amount you want in a bucket of cold water, uh, ideally in a mesh bag a brew in a bag uh, uh, will work uh, completely fine for uh, 12 to 24 hours. Uh, strain them so the mesh bag uh, comes useful when straining them. Um, spread them out on the tray and uh, put them in a place where the room when the where the temperature is a little cooler than room temperature so somewhere somewhere between, between uh, uh, 10 and uh, 20 uh, uh, degrees celsius and if there's no sign of life for a couple of days then you will need to repeat the steeping and the straining and banging them out in the uh, uh, tray process and um, after that, you should you should see them growing. If really they are not growing, then you will have to go for a different source of grains. So basically then it's, it's, it's quite sure that uh, your grains are not viable with lentils or buckwheat, at least, uh, but I will talk about this more later. And then uh, when the egg respire is uh, two times as long as the grain, that's just a rough rule of thumb, then you can put the trains in uh, tra- train in an oven and, uh, and uh, uh, dry them and even roast them, if you will. So what is the purpose of malting? Why are we doing this at all? Uh, uh, starches start to break down. Enzymes are produced. Uh, it helps with the so-called gelatinization. We hear this a lot in gluten-free brewing. Uh, Flavor compounds are created mostly in the kilning or toasting uh, um, uh, part. Also coloring compounds are created and uh, moisture is removed. So they store uh, for a long time, Uh, long shelf life. Now this uh, question has come up already in uh, the Facebook uh, discussions, if you can make uh, a beer with only unmalted grains using exogenous enzymes, because we use them anyway, mostly in gluten free brewing. And the answer is yes. But uh, because of these uh, reasons that I selected uh, here in red, uh, the beer will lack uh, flavor and color. um, um, might also lack a little bit of yield. So you might, but uh, uh, for sure, you know, if you you use uh, just raw grains, and they're not uh, toasted, they're not uh, 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 not killed. um, And also they're not uh, toasted or killed in the way that they have previously went through the uh, molting the germination process in which they produce sugars. So uh sugars then could be caramelized with the famous uh, Maillard reaction then this will all be lacking from the beer so it's uh well it's just better to make beer with malt right so how do you prepare for malting? you have to make sure that uh, you have a good uh, quality of uh, source and the, the grains need to be able to germinate but uh, also uh for human consumption, of course. There's this interesting term called the quiescent seed. Uh, It's just a fun fact, uh, basically that uh, seeds after harvest or the grains, they need to rest. And that's just basically due to the uh, rhythm of nature, as far as I understand. Uh, You want to do some tests if if, uh, your grains are viable, and uh, if uh, it might be the case that they have some mold on them you know and you just uh, it's just very little but when you test uh, then it really tests their germination then it really becomes uh, in a wet wet condition it really becomes uh, apparent that there is a mold problem Uh, you have to remove contaminants i mean of course the best is if you can just source uh, grains uh, without any contamination i'm I mean, this, this could be anything, you know, uh, not 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 just, uh, um, obviously, you want to source uh, gluten free. So make sure there's no gluten contamination. But sometimes uh, there could be other inorganic materials so you have to make sure uh, uh. you can also remove uh, the non viable grains. So they usually they would uh, float on the surface of the steeping water and uh, also an interesting and quite useful fact fun fact is that uh, these grains are alive so uh, they actually even when they are in dormancy they actually do breathe they do produce a little bit of bit of heat and uh, you have to store them accordingly so uh, where this becomes important is if you have a larger bag of grains and uh, you don't want to uh, put them in an environment uh, like a plastic bag or where they are uh, sealed completely because you will you might have some condensation and then then that might lead to mold and and uh, you might also choke the grains so uh, best is to put them in a a place where they can uh, uh, breathe.
1: Peter can I interrupt you and ask a question? Yes, of course. Um, where do you source your seeds? How have you figured out where to go to get viable molting uh, Okay. Product?
5: Yeah, it's a, it's, a, actually, it's a good question and it's also kind of tough question. <laughs> so uh, for like rice, I have a very good source, but then for uh, millet, I'm still uh, looking for uh, different sources um some have worked out better in the past some haven't um with the, with rice it's very easy for me to make sure that it's completely gluten free um it's it's less uh, with others mm-hmm. and uh, also for buckwheat is an interesting one because just geographically they they don't grow buckwheat here where i live they do grow it in neighboring countries and quite close, but uh, I'm uh, still uh, so buckwheat I, I bought so far was imported from uh, from uh, Poland, and uh, so those those I got uh, in uh, like uh, just a general gluten free store mm-hmm. for food uh, food products, but uh, for rice uh, I I managed to. Uh, I managed to contact uh, uh, basically a, a rice producing company, like a large farming company, and they were happy to help. So you know, it's uh, the, the, I, I guess this is the the, the toughest part of home really, is where to get the the grains from. Yeah. I was I also grew some. Yeah. I also grew some. I I used to experiment with growing uh, sorghum and and uh, and um, millet, also buckwheat. But uh, it, it's it's fun, but it's uh, you know it's a lot of work, and it's also it's also a different trade. So <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, um. Okay. Yeah. We uh, I continue, and maybe we can talk about this later uh, more. If, and uh, okay, so the um, um, the first uh, the first step in uh, in molting is uh, germination. The others would be uh, uh, steeping comes sorry, so steeping comes first, but that's a uh, part of the uh, germination process, and then uh, uh, drying the grains. Uh, Killing them or toasting, in other words, and the uh, decalming, which is uh, the removal of the acrespires or shoots. Mm-hmm. Um, in germination, we are uh, simulating the um, circumstances in the environment. So uh, basically, the uh, seeds and grains are programmed in a way that when they get wet enough and the temperature rises high enough, they just start growing. And that's what we go for here. Um, at the same time, we are creating uh, circumstances uh, in which life uh, can, uh, life is promoted, but uh, this is also promoting to pathogens and mold. So that's, uh, uh, that's something we have to be mindful of. Um, and uh, for this reason, uh, germination needs to be uh, quicker in melting than in nature. You know, in the nature, sometimes it rains and then it doesn't rain for a long time, so germination can be a, a lengthy process. And also, the rise of the temperature is not uh, so even. So uh, the key uh, promoting factor is actually the grain viability, and this. This really matters. Uh, some sometimes you might get grains from a source which just will not germinate at all. Sometimes you get some that germinate very easily. Um, so if I really recommend to, to do tests, and if uh, if you have problems with the with the grain that comes from one particular source, then just uh, uh, Ditch that and uh, try and get uh, some some from uh, a better source. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the other promoting factors are the water absorption and the temperature. And um, mold uh, can be um, made more difficult to grow by uh, lowering temperatures. Um, adequate ventilation, and of course, making the process uh, quick as possible. And exogenous substances can be used. The gibberellic acid is basically an enzyme that uh, uh, promotes the, uh, the initial growth uh, phase of the grains. Um, and uh, other agents to help prevent mold can be used slake lime has been used uh, for a very long time traditionally in molting. I do not uh, recommend using that at home because it also needs to be removed um, afterwards, but uh, it um, it works on a principle that it um, makes the pH higher and Actually, baking soda also does that to some degree. So it's it's a bit anecdotal that baking soda helps prevent the growth of mold, but uh, actually, it does alter the pH. And my in my experience, it also it also helped uh, preventing mold. So uh, gluten free grains. Uh, I made uh, two large groups here. One would be buckwheat, lentils, and sorghum. Um, the first group: buckwheat, lentils, and sorghum. As I said earlier, if you want to try uh, malting at home, uh, this is where you uh, should start it because these grains not only they germinate at uh, at room temperature or even colder temperatures. So you don't need to really uh, uh, alter the temperatures. You can just put them in the pantry or you know even outside on the terrace if uh, if it's not uh, that cold anymore. Uh, and they will probably start uh, germinating and they also uh, tend to germinate uh, without the husk. So uh, f- for example, as for me in the beginning, uh, sourcing buckwheats uh, was only possible without uh, the husk. Those That was a buckwheat meant for uh, just uh, uh, as a food product, uh, as a uh, side dish <laughs> and but uh, they germinated beautifully and it worked very well. Now with millet corn and rice, uh, they tend not to germinate with the husk. So you have to source them making sure that they are uh, whole grain uh, with the husk on and uh, also they germinate at higher temperatures. So millet both, both for millet and rice, it would be like uh, uh, between 27 and 30 degrees Celsius. Sorry, I don't know how to, to uh, translate that to Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, if any, if anyone knows, then. Uh, but um, simil- similarly for corn, it, it needs uh, like 26, uh, around 26 uh, degrees Celsius. So it's 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 uh, not not much, but a little higher than room temperature. So you need uh, uh, so you, you need to use something to warm them and that that can become a problem. Because if you um, let's say you put them on a on a heat radiator, then it's very easy to just uh, go way above the correct temperature and then mold will start to develop and uh, you will have, start having all sorts of problems. So i'm not saying it can't be done but it's uh, it's tricky do you now actually, for yes
2: uh, on sorghum yes do you actually malt the sorghum i mean I, I noticed the note says produces some cyanide or do you just boil it before
5: oh yes yes thanks for pointing that out yeah. um yeah i have malted some sorghum but i was very uh, uh cautious there so i didn't use much in my beer mm-hmm. uh, but i uh as far as I know, uh, the, if the, this cyanide is kind of volatile and it can be boiled off. But um, I, d- I do recommend caution there and uh, and uh, so for example, I would not uh, more sorghum at home and then uh, make a, make a beer with uh, you know, not, not even with the, um, forty or fifty percent of the grain bill uh, because of that.
3: 27 C to 30 C is about 80 to 86 degrees Fahrenheit.
5: Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks JP. Thanks for, uh, uh, doing my homework for me.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, Peter, I had a yeah. quick question on, I know Grant Susan in Australia had mentioned that when he has tried to procure, um, uh, millet for some home malting, some projects that he has his own kind of operation down there in Australia. He was saying that uh, I think he was saying that a lot of the grain that comes into Australia is irradiated. Do do you know anything about? Oh, okay, like about uh,
5: irradiation. I do know about uh, some about irradiation, but uh, so, for, so where I live, it's only used on uh, on uh, spices. It's only allowed to be used on spices. Yeah. Um, I've, I won't get into the details why, but uh, if we don't use that on grains here, it it, it. probably there's a, a, a big difference there on uh, uh, you know, ge- geographically, but if they are irradiated, then there's a uh, uh, <laughs> it's very likely that they won't be viable. All right. So okay. Okay. and and also it's a um, it's it's also important uh, to mention here uh, that um, now that I'm talking about viable or non-viable grains. Uh, if uh, if you buy uh, grains that are meant for uh, for agricultural purposes, like uh, you know actually uh, um, sowing them in the fields, then those are usually treated with chemicals, and they are absolutely not meant for human consumptions unless they are organic of course so if uh, that that's also something you have to make sure of that they are not uh, not uh, meant for that purpose and not treated with any chemicals
6: hey guys can i just uh butt in quickly yes of course yeah uh so i'm grant um the gluten-free brewer so hello mm-hmm. to everyone Hey. um so i just wanted to um just just answer a couple of questions there that you brought up. So um, with with rice, um, and I don't know how you go over where you are, but here in Australia, we can malt rice that has been hulled, um, but it's the brown rice. So white rice is too far processed and the endosperm is dead, but um, mm-hmm. we quite often, well, I have as well, um, and I know Andrew has just done a fair bit of it, um, the brown rice. So if you okay. can find the brown rice without the hull on it. Um, it should be okay to to molt. So hope that helps.
5: Okay, thanks. Well, I, th- I think we need
0: so- to. I think we need to stop here and, and have this as a momentous occasion as the first <laughs> time an Australian has actually joined yes. our club I, meeting. So thank I you know, so I, much I, for doing no that. No
6: worries. I just saw that you um I saw the Facebook post when I woke up and uh and I thought oh you made the effort I've got to make the effort as well so. <laughs> Thank you yeah, so much for joining. That's good.
0: I'm yeah. yeah, yeah, alright.
6: No continue on, Peter.
5: Thanks, but uh, yeah, sorry for the uh, remark. Are, uh, did I understand correctly? You introduce yourself. Are you the the gluten-free brewer who is? Uh, yes, correct. Yep. Uh, oh, okay. Well, nice to meet you then. Same <laughs> like here, Peter. Nice see you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, with brown rice, I have actually also experimented with that, and my uh, unfortunately that that didn't work for me. So, and I okay. also I also uh, talked to uh, to the the farmers about that, and that they told me that it might work and it might 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 just not, and, and it didn't yeah. for me. So okay, I just okay. went for the. It's it's definitely much much easier in my experience ex- my experience with the with the unhulled. Uh, so uh, rice with husk, but uh, yep. I mean this is totally in line with the. Um, uh, with the, my message here is that the varieties matter a lot. You know the your source matters a lot, and uh, and you will if you want to more at home, then you will probably have to do some experimentation for yourself. Uh, yeah. Correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, and thanks for the comments. So uh, on this on this slide, I just have some. Um, some uh, basic germination regime examples. Uh, and the, again, uh, just what I said, you will probably have to do some experimentation for yourself. But it's nice to have a starting point for for uh, for different uh, grains. Okay, so the next uh, step after successful germination would be killing and uh, toasting. Some also call uh, uh, drying the grains uh, withering, I've, I've heard that term. But uh, the basically the purpose is uh, that uh, we're s- stopping the processes inside the grain, uh, we're achieving a stable uh, uh, product. Uh, that's actually important here, because if you if, if you just let it grow, then it would uh, eventually uh, the grain or the seed would uh, start using up the sugars that it produces. So we would actually uh, fall on the contrary of what we want to achieve. Um, preserving enzymes. So, so kilning can be done in a way that enzymes are, are preserved. Uh, um, here it's important to rely more on high volume airflow rather than uh, higher temperatures. Um, the proteins are degraded uh, to some level. And of course, most importantly, flavor and coloring compounds are created and uh, yes for example a uh, 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 technique I would use would be starting at uh, like uh, 30 degrees Celsius and slowly raising that up to uh, 70 uh, degrees Celsius with a high airflow if somebody is doing it at home, uh, and you don't have a like a food hydra- dehydrator, which can be perfectly used for this. But if you don't have one, you can also just put uh, put the grains in the oven and just uh, slowly bake them, and uh, and make sure they are dry at the end. So uh, you can also toast the grains. You, I I have uh, in the beginning done that in the oven, but then also. Uh, on this, on a stovetop in a in a pan, that also works well. Of course, you will uh, have less uh, enzymes and, and uh, less fermentables if you uh, do it at uh, high temperatures. But uh, uh, you might as well get uh, more body. So the final product uh, has to look good, smell good, and taste good. I remember <laughs> we had the we had a um, uh, presentation from Ed Golden about malting a long time ago, and uh, and I remember him stating this. And uh, of of course, this is very important. Um, it has an even color. Um, we achieve a very low one. Uh, to four and a half percent moisture so the it's it has to be very dry and uh, it's uh, stores uh, very well um this is especially for uh, especially true for dark mods that they need to rest um, a few weeks before you use them otherwise they will contribute some uh, some uh, uh uh, some uh, burnt uh favors to the beer which is undesirable um but some say it's it's best to just wait some with every malt um others others say that uh it's barely noticeable so i guess this is up for a debate um yes and i said uh there's for a long time. Of course, uh, if, if you want to make diastatic malts, uh, uh, so the enzymes uh, will be less uh, active after a while. So you want to use those earlier. Um, some techniques for malting, uh, rotary drum machines are used on large scale tower malting machines. Uh, uh, th- th- these uh, saladin machines, I think I'm missing a letter D here anyway, they are uh, um They are basically like uh, uh, floor uh, uh, malting, automated, uh, uh, machinerized. And um, of course, floor malting is a very ancient technique, but it works very well. Um, So some people... uh, convert uh, milk coolers which is a good idea and uh, some people also build uh, smaller drum machines like i have uh, built one i will show you in the video in a second the, the, this was my uh, my uh, uh, rotary home scale rotary drum machine i produced and it just didn't work out and uh, and anyway, that's that. That was actually very reassuring to me. That the key is not uh, is not really turning the grain, and uh, it's really it's really more just hitting the right temperatures and the and the right uh, right moisture content, and uh, and then the seeds will grow. Of course, if you want to uh, make malt on the industrial scale, like uh, you know. Uh, 500 kilograms uh, one ton two tons then of course people get smart and that's why they invent these uh, these uh, all sorts of machines like a tower or a rotary drum or even the serodine machine but uh, on on the home scale if you want to uh, mold uh, um, three four five or ten 20 kilograms I don't I don't think this is uh um, Really necessary. On the left here, you can see one of the these uh, one of these machines that I have built and worked very well, in, in which I was able to um, control the the temperature and I had this uh, 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 perforated uh, uh, steeping uh, uh, bucket sort of. So I was also uh, uh, able to uh, steep the grains uh, with that container and also put it in an oven and uh, and um, kill them and toast them. And now we have arrived to my my little project, which I've been working on for quite some time now. Uh, I uh, call it the the Grain monster and it's uh, uh, basically what it is is a Raspberry Pi based uh, automated solution for molting. And uh, what it does is it uh, controls the the cycles um the key features are it uh, the timing is automated it has in and outlet valves it controls the water level and um, it controls the temperature it can both heat and cool um it has a user interface and it's easy to program it's all stainless so it's easy to clean and it fits it fits in my uh, kitchen uh i can show you in this uh, image here this is the user interface and basically what it does is uh you can program these uh, cycles like a, a, a steeping cycle first at uh, 10 degrees. Uh, 10 degrees Celsius for four hours, then uh, uh, an air rest phase at uh, 26 degrees Celsius for eight hours rinsing. And uh, it, it's visualized on this diagram and it basically just uh, uh, takes the grains through this, uh, these uh, cycles. So it, uh, it uh, steeps them in water and then it uh, um, it strains them and um, yeah it's all automated and you have data data logged at the, at the same time yeah um so this uh, project is uh, still under development um i hope i can share more and more of this with you guys and if you want to uh, see what's up with it then you can uh, visit our website or even better. Uh, not a lot of content up there yet, but uh, I will working on it. You can also, of course, uh, follow it on Facebook. And that's where I will uh, hopefully very soon uh, uh, share some, uh, some uh, photos of uh, uh, nice and toasty molds made with the machine. Okay, and uh, yeah, we have arrived to the discussion and Q and A, and thank you for your attention and the uh, patience.
4: Um, one quick question I had is if I, you said that, you know, like after you malt it and you dry it down to, I think it was 4% moisture. Yeah. If I dried mine too far, will that like hurt the malt? Or is that uh, like at least get no. it down there? Yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Uh, no, so I I don't think you can dry them too much, mm-hmm. and, and it uh, the range was from one percent to four point five, right? One percent is like really really, really dry, so okay. So it, it's it's already like actually quite difficult to achieve that. So so yeah, I mean my only concern would be if you're like aiming for diastatic malts. But uh, e- even then, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's actually difficult to achieve that kind of uh, uh, low level of moisture. Uh, right.
4: I mean, I know I took um, some of the sorghum that, that I sourced. It's already malted, and I threw it into, basically, it's like a, a coffee roaster. Mm-hmm. And I, I drew steam off it of, or some moisture off of it. Um, for I don't know the first hour I was roasting it but I mean it was very very little it's just like there's a clear dome that goes over the top of it and you know I got some condensation on that <laughs> that was really about it but
5: yeah right okay well it could be condensation but uh, that's that's uh, vaporing off but it also can be like smoke right that when yeah if you're actually burning it
4: yeah, this was I I was roasting or whatever the lowest setting on the machine is. So it was like maybe a hundred and ten C. Okay. Or something.
5: Yeah, that's yeah, that you can get a pretty
0: good toast at 110 C. hmm
5: Yeah.
0: I had a question on um just when you're getting started out is I think a lot of people um, that will watch this um, or even a lot of people in the club probably have never done it before. And mm-hmm. um, so I know that from Ed's presentation, which was several, a few years ago, um, he just basically said he stopped doing it because of the contamination issues. Mm-hmm. And um, so like when you're starting out, when you started out, um was that a frequent experience where you're like, Oh, it's moldy. I got to toss it. I need to look at doing something different. Uh, like what's the, I guess, um, what's, what does it look like from how do you get from beginning to making malts that actually are usable? Like, is that learning yeah. curve uh, really hard or is it really okay. easy? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That's a very good question. So I guess I
5: was lucky and I was lucky because I started with the, with buckwheat uh, if i remember correctly um and that worked super well now i also at the at the same uh, same time i i tried uh, a bit later i tried millet and that was just a catastrophe so it took me it actually took me a, a a year or more when i was i was able to source millet that was also good and i also had the the um the um the correct uh, uh techniques to hold it at the right uh, temperature so really the thing here is that um you know as i said uh, buckwheat uh will germinate at as low as uh, 10 to 12 degrees celsius so um Lentil would germinate at the temperatures as low as like uh, six degrees Celsius. So that's basically the temperature of your fridge, you know, and it's, it's very, I mean, mold can, uh, of course, there are many, many uh, different kinds of molds and they can grow at those temperatures, but uh, extremely slowly. Um, and I, I think, um, so if if you start with the grains that are easy to germinate, then uh, you you have, have a very high chance of success. Um, it's it's a lot more difficult with uh, with other grains that uh, like millet and rice uh, that need higher temperatures. Uh, then of course you will have to pay attention to getting the uh, uh, getting the uh, the right uh, getting the grains from the right source you know the uh, they're not moldy to begin with and then and then also so the situation with mold is is actually is a bit tricky that uh, you know what is harmful is not the mold itself but uh, the toxins produced by the mold this is kind of I, I like to think of it as you know like the um uh, the poop of the mold, <laughs> uh, but um, so so at the you know at the at the time when this uh, starts to develop, it's it's a, you can actually it's it's very you can actually see it you can you know smell it. So because some people are afraid of mold for the reason that uh, they say. Uh, this this fungi mode is a fungi right that it can it can penetrate uh, um, penetrate uh, the food products uh, while they're not really visible um, but it's also uh, has to be said that it's not it's not it's not the fungi itself that's causing the problems, but the but the toxins that it, it produces and, and it, it has clear, clear visible signs So it's, uh, you know, you can see that it's it has a white or green or, you know, uh, um, maybe some other other uh, uh, color patches and it, it gets uh, smelly and, uh, of course, if if, they, if you have any uh, suspicion that that's what's happening, then you just have to toss it out. But uh, um, uh, I, I think I might be talking too much about this, what I really should be talking about it, uh, is, is that if you, uh, sorry, one moment, uh, JP, is that if, if you, uh, if you choose uh, the right uh, grains, then you have a very high chance of success, is what I want to say.
3: I've got a couple questions for you, Peter. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I actually came across your Facebook page and then uh, your website. Uh, oh, a few months ago, I think right after you first uh, uh, launched it. And I was really excited okay. to see it. I uh, had toyed around with the idea of malting my own back in like 07 and 08. Um, mm-hmm. But specifically for the reason of Uh, Being afraid of mold, I decided to go a different direction and decided instead just to focus on uh, brewing with what I could get. And in Oregon, Mm -hmm. uh, that was that was a lot of things. And and we Mm -hmm. had more seemed like every year. So um, but I used to, as I mentioned in the chat, I used to roast my own grain for color that was not malted and found that the color was always more stable uh, when I would let it hang out in a brown paper bag in my closet for a week after I roasted it before I used it in brewing. Um, so definitely that, that tracks, that tracks for me as like giving it a rest. Otherwise if I'd put it right into a batch of beer, uh, the color would just all fall out and I'd have maybe an amber colored beer or a, a just a pale colored beer, even though I put all that roasted malt in it. Um, mm-hmm. My question for you is: I am really interested in the in the automated malting uh, uh, machine that you're making. What's the capacity of it? And I have a, a kilogram to pound conversion <laughs> thing right up here right now. Okay. So feel free to tell me kilograms, and I will Thanks. tell you what how many pounds it is. Thanks.
5: I, I actually have a, I, I think yeah one one pine pi- one pound is like uh, 0. 0.4 kilograms roughly so I actually I actually that's one I can kind of convert but uh, yeah so the capacity here would be between it, it, it of course depends on the kind of grain you're using but it would be yeah. uh, roughly 15 to 20 kilograms
3: oh wow that's the about, volume yeah so that's that's like 33 uh 33 to 44 pounds of grain that's a lot bigger Sounds- than I had thought it sounds correct well it's it's a 28 liter volume machine sure um so i mean i think the other interesting thing about this and i don't know how many people have really like dug into the history um i've i've talked on some podcasts about kind of like my exploration of the roots not of gluten free brewing because we've all been there for the roots of Mm gluten-free brewing rather the roots the roots of like uh continental european brewing and if you go back to uh you know the middle of the of the nineteenth century, um, you have the the invention of of a lot of these like drum roasters and and different malting techniques that, that mm-hmm. came over and kilning techniques that that were kind of being spread around by Suttlemeyer mm-hmm. and Dreyer and, and different things like that. Literally stealing them from uh, from breweries like Bass in, in England and then bringing them back to Germany and Austria. Um, and one of the cool things that uh, that that I've been learning about is that everybody back then, like there was no, there, there was no um, uh, commercial maltster that everybody got their grain from. If, if a brewery was making beer, they were malting their grain and uh, they were doing it with some kind of process that might yield something that was good, might yield something that was dark and murky and not very good, but everybody was, was doing that. And so you end up with a lot less of like you know, your your crystal. You put a little bit of crystal, a little bit of biscuit, a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and you had more just of these 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 grains that were malted uh, to where to the point barley where it was still uh, diastatic uh, had still had uh, diastatic power to it, but also might have a little bit of color because of being exposed to smoke, or might have uh, color because it was a pale malt. But they were using a mash cooker uh, in order to uh, in order to do the step mashing. Uh, And that's like a Vienna Um, and, and it's, it's really cool. Like the idea of the idea of brewing a beer with a malt that I, uh, that I've malted on site on at my brewery so that basically nobody else can do it as long as it's Mm. good is really like romantic
0: to me. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I love that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, you the, well the, you got one sale, Peter. One sale. Oh thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I
4: might take one too. <laughs> okay. If if this project with the metery goes through, that that could be really prime for us because like the point we're at is sourcing, sourcing grain, you know, that kind of like Peter was talking about, sourcing grain that's gluten-free, you know, celiac safe. Millet or buckwheat, um, and then getting it malted. I mean, there's yeah, you know, there's local maltsters we can and grain farmers that we can work with, but you know, like, can, can I even get them to do the cleaning that's required? You know, to to pass muster, and if we can malt it ourselves, that would be huge and i think you said jp what about 25 to 30 pounds is the capacity? yes 30 yes uh 34 34 yeah 30 to
5: 40 pounds so yeah so
4: that's in uh i think that would be it's enough that it's worth doing (laughs) (laughs) it's small (laughs) enough that the risk is like you you know it's not like we're trying to do you know two thousand pounds or some shit
5: OK, well, uh, to respond to both of you, in, uh, uh, so something that came to my mind is that, uh, um, you know, I mean, of course, you know this, but uh, barley has been uh, selected for molting and brewing for centuries. And, and also the process at the same time has been, uh, has been uh, uh, developed uh, for the same amount of time. And we, has, we have a lot to catch up on. Um, and uh, and actually, part of why I needed a machine like this for myself was uh, well, a consistency. Um, so I can make sure that even if it's, you know, difficult to source the good quality grains uh, from the same source. Um, so it's difficult to get consistency on the on the source side. At least, at least, so I can make sure that I can be consistent on the process side, and it's also very important because uh, you know we work with uh, buckwheat, rice, uh, millet. Uh, some even may work with corn, amaranth, uh, oats, and these uh, these grains are all completely different. <laughs> while barley is just barley is just one grain right so um, we have to use a very different uh, approach to all of these grains and and uh, and uh, there I think uh, having uh, uh, some having consistency and and also the idea with this machine is that you uh, um you know since it's uh, fully uh, programmable you could uh, save a germination regime and you can you could just start that later you could also share it because it's it's uh, uh, it's it's quite easy say you know you have for your rice let's say you have a good uh, a good regime let's say you steep it for 24 hours at i don't know six degrees celsius wa- uh, water and then you let it sit for uh uh, I don't know how many. Let's say two days at uh, 27 degrees Celsius. I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying the process now. But then, let's say you have found this uh, this uh, great way, uh, this good regime, germination regime to work on your malt, and then you can just very easily, you know, share that with the, with someone else who is uh, trying to malt rice at the same time. And uh, I think that would be great.
3: Well, the other thing that's really exciting about this for me is that, um, and I don't want to, I'm not saying that there's anything that anybody's doing wrong in the commercial space, um, but this is also new uh, malting uh, grains that aren't barley for use in uh, in beer that that usually has barley in it that's traditionally brewed with barley. Uh, that there's a lot of Intellectual property that's not out there yet, that's not mm-hmm. being shared. Um, mm-hmm. And I know on the brewing side, some of us, especially in zero tolerance, are trying to make that up and trying to share everything we know um, so that everybody can make great beer um, and and not just uh, not just keeping that intellectual property about mash techniques and brewing techniques to ourselves. Um, so like that idea of being able to share a, uh, uh, a uh, particular regime of mashing, or sorry, of, of malting is really cool. And getting that information out there about like what, what set points is it important, what temperature points is important for, you know, for example, making a Vienna buckwheat, uh, <laughs> really cool, uh, or a Vienna rice, uh, you know, um like something that's close to a pale but but has a little bit more flavor development to it than just a pale malt so i i really want to say thank you and also when when's it available (laughs) (laughs) well uh yeah thanks
5: jp so um as i said it's uh, still under development we have i have this uh, prototype now that is working uh I will plan. I am planning on adding, adding more uh, features later. So now it is a, able to go through a successful uh, germination process, but the the kilning is done outside of this machine now. Um, and uh, I would like to implement that. There are also other uh, uh, plans to implement uh, scale, scaling, scale monitoring, so like the weight monitoring to. Also be able to uh, monitor water absorption, um, and uh, right now I see uh, two two ways uh, uh, two ways for uh, um, the development. One would be is uh, is more uh, uh, more an application where. Um, uh, to a very large degree, the uh, designs would be open source, and uh, and maybe you could uh, order a PCB or maybe some sort of kit where you can and then you can uh, build up on that and and uh, uh, apply that to make uh, uh, some sort of machine for yourself uh, and use the software that was developed uh, also on that machine. And uh, another way to go would be to have something like a consumer ready product, but uh, 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 I guess needless to say, that's a very uh, lengthy and uh, tedious process. And and, and, uh, uh, with full honesty, right now I'm I'm at the position where I'm trying to uh, discover possibilities and try to uh see and decide if if that's uh, possible and if if that's uh, if that could be worked out because obviously the I, what i see is that that's where the community would uh, benefit uh, the most and and there has been a lot of interest from barley barley masters and brewers as well and uh and uh, yes uh, I, I don't know okay am i allowed to say this but this machine would also work for barley <laughs>
1: sure yeah. yeah if they can bankroll it why not yeah. it's you know and it, it this uh model is kind of like uh, i think of the um, the digital hydrometers like the the tilt versus the ice spindle it's, it's sort of a similar uh situation where you can you can pay a premium to have it sent to you pre-built and ready to go or you can you can assemble all the materials and do it yourself and then there's probably some people who are happy to assemble it for you and you know mm-hmm
5: yeah, it. that's uh, I, I have actually built a couple myself, and yeah. that works great. And it's really, yeah. it's it's just really great how that works, and it's all up there, and people can build it yeah. for free for themselves.
1: But a lot of people probably aren't going to be ready to, to take on or pick up a soldering gun and uh, start doing it themselves. It's probably, it's probably going to weed out some of the individuals, but maybe, yeah, you know, there's some hybrid solution out there where you could, uh, know, there's representatives who could. Who could build it, distributed it, parts of the yeah. world?
5: Yeah, and let me say this: if uh, you it, if, it you guys, if you guys, if you guys, just uh, uh, yeah, if if we if you want to help help me with this project, then really right now where you can help is uh, uh, show your interest online. So sign up to my Facebook uh, page, and uh, I or sign up to the newsletter, and that's that's really where. But what can uh, at this point help me the most if, uh, if I, you know, um, but, but of course, uh, I really appreciate everything uh, that you guys commented. And that was what helps. But if, uh, if, um, if uh, yeah, I can, you know, have uh, some uh, good data points, points on, uh, on how many people are interested. And uh, that, that's what I need
0: at this stage. Uh, so yeah, keep, yeah, Peter. To that point, training. if you if you would be uh, able to post up like maybe a summary or the website, your link to your presentation, uh, that information to the to the group, um, or provide it to me, or uh, then we can get it up there. So um, I think it's <laughs> a small community that uh, we we see a lot of the same faces over and over again. So. And, and i know i would definitely be willing to to support you as much as possible Thank and i you. and i know we talked about this kind of beforehand but sometimes you got to put on take off the engineering hat and put the sales guy hat on right and sometimes that's obviously not really something i like to do a lot i like to keep the engineering hat on and uh just by nature but um you got to get a little salesy if you want to get it over the finish line right so so there's that part too as well
5: yeah yeah thanks gail yeah and if you uh, do do we have a bit more time i would like love to ask grant i'm so happy to see grant here because i know he's uh he's been doing a lot of home uh, homework thing and uh and uh I, i'd like to ask him about uh his uh uh Experience and equipment. If if you can share a few yeah. uh, words,
6: I'll answer what I can, mate. Go for it. Thanks. Yeah.
5: So yeah, what's what's your uh, what, like? What grains do you malt uh, so, most often, and what equipment would you use for those?
1: So
6: right now, all I do is um, what we call French white millet, which is, I think it is, well, it's pretty much proso millet. Um, so I have um, an, a, a good supplier of that who um, who cleans and grades it for me. Uh, and it's about, it's about $30 Australian uh, for a 20 kilo bag, um, although to get it is a three-hour drive to the place for me, and three hours back. But it's uh, it's a nice drive, so I don't mind it. Um, but I'll, and I'll buy, I'll buy ten bags at a time. Um, so steeping wise for that grain, uh, I have a sixty-liter, um, pretty much a plastic fermenter, which I've cut the top off, and a. Um, a uh, 20 kilo pail. So just, I don't know if anyone's bought the sorghum syrup in the big pails. That's pretty, it's one of those old sorghum syrup pails. Um, and I've just drilled the whole, whole lot of holes in the bottom. So two mil, or one and a half mil holes um, and some stainless steel legs and pretty much steep my grain that way. Um, and then my uh, roaster kiln is a master built smoker with a fan put on it. So um, I, I don't know if you've seen the Masterbuilt smokers. There's a little um, section on the side where you put your uh, wood chips in, and it sits above the element, the electrical element. Um, my fan, my I've got a fan that the air goes in through there. Um, I've created some um, some uh, trays with holes in the bottom. So I've used um, what they call wedge wire, stainless steel wedge wire, which I've got from a scrappy scrap dealer. Um, and then, yeah, the air flows up through there and out the vent and I can control the time. Um, the airflow is pretty much the same all the way through it and, and the, the heat, so that's how I do my millet. Um, I did rice a while back and I haven't really got back into rice again, um, but my rice was done in a, um, so smaller versions of the bucket. So a five litre version of the bucket with the holes in the bottom and then a big esky or cooler. Um, and a a fish fish pond or fish tank heater and set it at around 27 degrees for rice. But um, rice is one of those things where I don't really get the flavour I want out of it. So um, yeah, never really got back into it. So um, yeah, and buckwheat, we've had a lot of bad droughts here in Australia. So the the buckwheat supplier um, locally is, he. At the time of me contacting him he had nothing so i haven't got really into that anymore and um, most of the buckwheat we get here in the health food stores is grown in china which means it's been irradiated as it comes through customs Mm -hmm. um so yeah haven't really played with any of the others uh lentils or anything like that um but i do get the flavor i want out of millet so um i just find millet is the closest to barley um and yeah it's uh it's well it's easy for me the my 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 mill is set up for millet it's just my my whole system set up for millet. it's just nice and easy so um i use that but one of the things i did notice on your um your road your drum that you had with yeah. the, i'm not sure what grain was in that uh um, no, it, it was buckwheat was yeah. it oh, okay it looked way too wet um so that yeah. kind of looked, to me, that looked like a cement mixer with cement in it. Um, yeah, it, and looked, it,
5: it was really bad. Yeah, oh, sorry, go on.
6: Yeah, um, So and that sort of leads to Kale's question where he was talking about um, mould and toxins and that. So in my my um, experience, the wetter the grain is, that's when you start getting all those um, toxins, uh, the moulds and stuff like that. So um, with millet, I know if it's soaked too long and it and it's way over forty five percent moisture, you'll get a almost like a vomit smell, um, which is butyric acid or butyric butyric acid or something like that. Um, that I, I know then the grain's gone way too far. It's too wet. Um, mm-hmm. And then I also find that um, if the grain doesn't get turned enough while it's germinating um, and the and the um, the rootlets. Start matting together. When I put that in the kiln to um, to dry it, mould will grow in between the rootlets and stuff like that. So then I've got to throw that batch out. So um, but does yeah. that
5: happen? So that happens before the kilning.
6: No, that that will happen during. So if I'm making pale pale mold so I kiln that first. That first kilning step is at fifty degrees Celsius. Um, mm. That'll happen in that stage there. So uh, um, and it, that's purely. I haven't turned the grain enough to stop. And that's one of the things with um, barley malting as well is they turn the grain a lot to stop yes. that matting happening because you do need the airflow coming through the grain yes. to dry it
1: properly. And Grant, so, are, you, are you just uh, hand, hand uh, turning that or you, it's almost like floor malting with your hands kind of thing? You're not, you know, uh, no, you, no. Um, so it stays in the bucket.
6: So um, okay. what I will do is I'll fill the bucket to a point with the, the raw millet. Right. Um, and then that soaks in the, the bigger 60-litre um, fermenter with the top cutoff, right. um, and then your steep time is a big one too. So um, all your barley stuff says, you know, like an eight-hour soak, eight-hour rest, eight-hour soak, um, and I also have Andrew Lavery's original document that he put out with molting as well, and I used to use those times, um, but I find that they're too long um, so literally, it's a six-hour steep and that's it for millet for me um, because it is such a thin husk on proso millet and that gives it enough. Saying that, I have to wash the grain through every 12 hours. So so we'll have a six-hour steep or maybe even a seven. I wouldn't go along longer than eight. Um, the bucket gets lifted out of the water and it, because and it, the holes in the bottom, just drains off. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll just give that bucket a shake every 12 hours and a, and a wash through. And then the, the, the grain bed actually compacts again, give it a shake, make sure all that water's coming out of the bottom because that water at the bottom will soak into the grain and then you'll have like a layer at the bottom that stinks like the, the vomit smell.
1: Um, and that's then, enough yeah, that's pretty much uh, Sorry, that's enough to keep it, the rootless from matting? From Correct, yep. And it'll um so you
6: will have some growth there, which is um a lot longer, like it'll grow quicker than others because in in the bucket it does get quite hot. It'll get up to 50 degrees, and um I know a lot of people say oh that's too hot. It's going to degrade the enzymes, but I'm finding it's not. I'm finding it actually gives a good flavour to the to the millet. So my my beer that I make with my pale malt tastes completely different to what Two Bays makes with Grouse's pale malt, Um, and it's a more. I would probably say it's probably more uh, like a marisider to a normal two-row flavor. It's um, it's just got that I don't know sweeter maltiness to it, Um, and I think that's a lot got a lot to do with the heat. But yeah, it will grow. So that that bucket will have maybe I don't know a third of the grain in it raw. By the time it's ready to put in the kiln, that bucket, that twenty-seven liter bucket, is nearly um, nearly full. Because of the, the growth in the grain and the and the and the rootlets, side. Um, but so yeah, one, find... Go on. One thing that happened to me was
5: rice, though it was a millet. Is that I, I I've never experienced uh, any, any moulding in the uh, you know kiln phase or at the late late germination phase. I mean, I, I, usually I got I got those in in while trying to germinate, right. Those issues, yeah. but uh, once what, something happened to me when I was, it wasn't millet, it was, was right, so it was quite different. But um, I noticed uh, something similar to what you were talking uh, to what uh, you just described is that I noticed that uh, some really thin, uh, really thin uh, growth at the rootlets and, and they, they kind of grow together. And I was afraid that that was more than that was, uh, you know, fungi, uh, uh, what what do you call those, the mycelium developing there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but uh, I actually looked at it under the microscope and I I realized it was uh, actually the part of the root itself. Okay. Because... uh, (laughs) Yeah, as uh, you imagine, when the plants they grow, the rootless they spread, and yes. they actually they actually look like roots. They were just super super tiny thin, yep. and uh, it it also didn't smell bad. So what was interesting is that it, uh, um, unlike how you described your experience, but in it, uh, in this case it was uh, it looked a bit weird, but uh, it didn't. It didn't smell bad at all, so that's why I, I thought uh, this needs closer attention, and and uh, yeah, it was just the rootlets themselves. <laughs>
6: yeah, yeah. Well, I, you always got to be cautious too, because really, realistically, we don't know what what's in. Like, there's been no testing of what's in the grains as we go through the molding process. So, and I know with barley, they used to um, they used to kiln barley over a, a smoke source, which Produces carcinogenic compounds, so um, you know that we've always got to be careful. But yeah, I think your nose and your eyes are your biggest, your biggest asset with this. So if it doesn't smell bad, and, you, and like you said, you put it under a microscope and it was a rootlet, yeah, everything's fine. But yeah, I, I I do. For me, it's easy. If I do a five kilo batch and I throw it out, just feeding the birds really. So um, the birds love it. But um, it's it's better than yeah, you know, ending up in hospital with a on a drip in ICU <laughs> with a with a, with a you know, food poisoning or blood poisoning or something like that. So yeah, it, it, it does pay to be careful. And look, you know, I've I've worked in a malting plant. Um, we built a malting plant, and I still hear stories about how they throw batches out. You know, and they, that's they throw three hundred sixty ton batches out because things go bad. So, um, you know, it's it's not out of the norm for that stuff to happen, and especially in the commercial environment. I'm sure um, I'm sure grouse have have issues as well here and there. So yeah, but I do. with with the with the with my malting, so that constantly washing the grain through, like that water that comes off is quite like after the steep, it's a very muddy water. Um, even though the grains I've got have been um, cleaned and graded, um, and then you know it's probably two two or three washes afterwards before the grain starts to, that water that's coming out is clear. So it is washing off a lot of crap, um, which would be just farm dust, you know, dust from the, the paddocks and stuff like that. But, you know, there's also, you know, there's also dried manure and all that sort of stuff out there. Um, but yeah, I find the washing constantly, the twelve every 12 hours, and when you turn it, um, tends to, to really keep the grain clean and, and not have any issues with mould and that afterwards.
3: on our next meeting of zero tolerance home distilling should you drink the heads and the tails will you go (laughs) blind (laughs) yes and yes no no and yes sorry
5: (laughs) and i remember grant once uh, uh, correct me if i'm wrong but uh, you have uh, sent uh, some millet millet of yours to analysis for diastatic power Correct, yep. Yeah, and you had um, you had uh, 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 confirmed that it was able to self-convert. Is, is, is that correct?
6: Uh, it, it would self-convert. Um, the actual test that they did, and, and this is one of the issues I find with us being gluten-free brewers, is if we send something to a lab for testing, they use a standardized testing. So they use the standardized barley diastatic testing. So it was literally... Uh, I, well, I think I call it a Congress Congress test or something like that. Congress bashing. Yeah. yeah. So it came in at around, I think it was like 24 degrees litna, um, which is probably not enough to self-convert. But if, uh, and that's one of, well, I sent it because I wanted it tested and I wanted the color tested and, and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, Cause I don't have any of that test equipment here. Um, but I, I, um, yeah, I, I, because they've worked with these, that that, um, university in the US works with grouse, I would have thought that they might have had a different test for millet, um, but they didn't. Um, So if you look at what um, Andrew, I think it's Andrew Ledley, his his PhD study um, showed that, you know, and, and my experience doing um, decanting, decanting mashes is um, that Millet is able to self-convert um, to about 25 to 28 PPG. Um, not a problem. So, yeah, it's I don't have the, the data for any of that. Um, but, yeah, just by me yeah. me doing doing that. Um, yeah, sounds, get, sounds great, though. Self, yeah. Self-converting, yeah. Yeah, sounds great. Um, I did write down here. I think it was Stuart asked about where to find the raw grains. Um, so I f- with, um, here in Australia, I don't know whether you, you have them in the US, but I say you would. Is um, farm tender websites. So we've got one here in Australia where um, so millet's mainly grown in Queensland. Here I'm in Victoria, which is the other end of the country, um, and they'll a farmer will grow a millet and he'll sell it on that farm tender website. Um, so here in Australia, it's around about between 900 and 1,600 a tonne. Um, so I just put a question on there and said, is there anyone interested in selling selling it? I'm looking at starting a malting facility and um, the, the where I buy my grain from now, he knew well, they, there's a the people that run the farm tender website actually in that same town. So he introduced me to that guy. Um, he actually came down, he delivered it by hand first up. And um, yeah, I've had a pretty good relationship with him ever since. So I can just buy as many bags as I want. But um yeah, check out the farm tender websites and just, you know, make that contact with the farmers. You might you might be lucky. Yeah, that's a good Thanks. idea. Yeah, Thanks. yeah. yeah. Correct. <clears throat> and uh, bird breeders. So this guy, yeah. he the millet that he he does is all for top end bird breeders. Um, that's why it's all cleaned and graded because they're they're quite fussy with what they feed their birds. So um yeah if you can uh if you can get on to um if you if you struggle with the farm tenders maybe try bird breeding associations and see where they get their clean millet from so that's good,
3: that's good ideas okay well yep. the, the caution in the u.s that i've always heard is don't go to your local farm store and buy uh uh millet that's intended for bird feed because it will be treated to inhibit mold growth and it's not uh, it's not suitable for human consumption.
6: Yes, true. So I, if I buy like I've bought millet from and I've had this on my alt malt page where I bought it from a farm store and it and it's been irradiated and it's it's full of crap and um, and it's it is bird feed. But what I'm getting is actually from the source. So he's the so there's a grower's sell to him. He's got massive giant bats, um, silos on his farm. And he does everything, so he has, it's not just millet; he's got all, a whole bunch of other grains. And yes, there will be cross-contamination, although I have never found barley or wheat in any of his product, I have found um, chickpea. Um, but that's added like a very small chickpea. Um, but yeah, you're right, JP, yeah. You've, you've gotta be careful what you get. So your standard farm store, which is like a small feed store, it sells a little bit of hay in that. Yeah, it wouldn't go with them, but your bigger, yeah, multiple silos sells multiple grains. Um, yeah, that's where I'd be. I'd be checking. Yeah, definitely.
0: I wonder just to throw this out too for us in the states. Um, I wonder if you know places that do do malting of millet. You know, Skagit Valley Malting for Stewart and I, for instance, or Grouse in Colorado. Like, if they would even sell people um, unmalted grains, right? To malt yourself, you probably do um, that as
6: well. It might be worth asking because, um, so we've got a malting facility here in Australia that does, um, it does everything. So it does like, and he's a farmer as well. So um, so he does, it's called Voyager um, and he he does like, he does buckwheat, sorghum, um, but it's all, you've got to ask for it and there's minimum amounts. Um, and when I couldn't source um, millet, he could, and he did, he was happy to sell me clean graded millet, um, although it was a lot dearer than 30. $30 a bag, um, plus shipping and stuff. He's in New South Wales, so another what, half half a country to travel. Um, so it wasn't viable for me to get it off him. But the other option too is, and I've been discussing this with a guy who wants to sell gluten-free products from his home brew store here, is because um, there's another brewery apart from Two Bays that makes a gluten-free beer in Queensland, and they get their millet now from Voyager, um, is you could piggyback off those breweries too, to say if there's a minimum amount that say say Jason Yerger gets or or something from Grouse, you could ask, uh, can you throw in an extra hundred kilos for me or whatever? So, um, and that's what I've been discussing with this bloke as well, that because he's from Queensland and Voyager Malting is near, it's in New South Wales, but it's near the Queensland border. And I've said to him, well, it's probably something you could do. You could ring, you could ring Voyager and say next time um, for I think it's Four Hearts Brewing. Um, or Wild Polly, which is another gluten-free beer. He, he does sorghum and millet in his beers. Um, next time they run a batch through, see if you can put, put an extra couple of hundred kilos or a hundred kilos in for you. Because honestly, if you got 100 a hundred kilos of malt, you, you'll use it. You're not gonna not use it. It's just having a place to store it. So.
3: I know uh, here in the States, uh, grouse and Eckert will sell unmalted grain on the commercial side. I don't okay. know if a home brewer were to ask uh, if the offer is also open. Um, but also one thing that could be uh, open for uh, certain questioning is um, grouse and, and Eckert are buying from independent farmers uh, and, you know, saying, Hey, could you give me a name of somebody to buy, uh grain from um and they they might be willing to do it um because they're they're farmers that are trying to make a living selling uh selling stuff and there's only so much that grouse and eckert can buy from them anyway so more sales uh for that farmer helps support their family so
0: nice or we could just buy from
3: you jp (laughs) (laughs) or buy it for me
4: come on um Oh, uh, Grant, I had a question about, oh, uh, Peter noted something about um, cyanide and sorghum. Do you have more insight into that? Because I know, uh, Grant, you've worked Mm -hmm. with sorghum probably more than most people.
6: Uh, Mm -hmm. No, no, I haven't. I've never used sorghum at all. And it's purely because um, of the... well, oh, there's cyanide. There's um there's another mold that grows on the skin as well. Um, okay. Yeah, I've never and and it is quite easy to get here in Australia. Sorghum because it is it's just a cattle feed here. Um, but yeah, it's it's not been something that I've um, yeah. So the the best way to put it is when I first had O'Brien's beer. There was this burnt mm. rubber, ru- burnt rubber flavour to the beer, right. and it's not, it's not in there now. And it's purely, and this is, uh, this is my theory, and I've seen it because I know, um, I've seen, um, oh, I can't remember his name, the guy who runs Brent Ground Baker um, oh, mention yeah. it as well. That's it. Um, so one of his beers was in a beer competition, or someone did a, um, did a, a tasting of it and mentioned the burnt rubber as well. Um, I think it's a flavor that's only certain people pick up. Um, and that sort of put me off cause O'Brien's used millet and sorghum and that put me off sorghum a lot. So, I, and talking to Andrew Lavery, sorghum is one of those, he said his experience with sorghum is that every year it changes and you might get okay. a year where, um, sorghum malts really well and there's no off flavors and everything's fine. And he said, and then the next year, it's, it's just stuffed. And you've got to use more millet and, and a few other things to just keep the consistency in their product. So, okay, um, so saying that now, I don't want to, I don't want to put anyone off O'Brien's beers because their beers are really good and they win a lot of gold medals. But um, when I first tried it, when I was diagnosed 16 years ago now, That's what I picked up in my first flavor. It was a very chemically burnt rubber flavor. And I think it's, I think that's my palate, not the beer. Um, And yeah, I just didn't want, um, yeah. So it would just put me off sorghum completely. So I've never never gone there.
4: But it seems that the, that cyanide is coming from a mold that grows on sorghum or that can Uh, grow in sorghum when it's
6: being malted. It could be. The other thing I would, I would suggest too, is that, um, a lot of the, a lot of grains when they, well, a lot of, a lot of that, uh, plant life, when it, when it starts producing does produce a product that is in uh, sprouting, um, does produce cyanide. So, yeah. um, so I know apricot, apricot kernels have it in it. Um, so as far as I know, when apple seeds are germinating, they've got it in it. Um, my malt when i eat the 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 green the green malt that's shot that's got the shoots um coming out just to get the flavor sometimes there's a bitterness there it would not surprise me if that is some type of cyanide or some type of compound like that okay um so i don't i think it's a naturally occurring thing well it is a naturally occurring thing but i don't think it's at a level where um it's going to kill you um right it's just yeah i'm um I think it's just one of those things where you see and you go oh, cyanide well that kills people um <laughs> but you know like it's 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 one of those things well you know if copper copper in your it's like um copper in in small amounts or zinc or something like that is it's a metal but it's good for right. your system and it's good for brewing sorry
5: like, good sorry guys health. can you can you hear me yep yes oh okay so yeah i just accidentally turned my mic off yeah i was just uh, sorry to interrupt you grant yeah. I was just going to touch on this uh, thing with the cyanide. So the cyanide uh, for sorghum it uh, it is produced by the by sor- the sorghum itself. Okay. And it it's all not only, not only in the grain but also if uh, as Grant mentioned it's uh, very often grow, grown for cattle feed and uh, it has uh, also cyanide in the in the stem of the plant mm-hmm. and uh, during the life stage of the uh, sorghum, it uh, it sometimes it has more cyanide, sometimes it has less. But actually, the cattle uh, um, those who use it for cattle feed need to be also cautious with that. But uh, also, as Grant said, uh, you know, a lot of food food produ- uh, products or uh, or uh, plants like almonds. Uh, you know, some cher- cherry pits are, are also used in the uh, uh, food industry for cherry flavoring. And mm-hmm. they, they also have cyanide. And um, it, it's uh, said to be a volatile compound. So it, uh, you know, by it can be boiled off or um, okay. it's, it's not uh, something to be uh super worried about it's also you can also taste actually if you taste like raw sorghum seeds you can actually taste that it has this uh i get i don't know is that similar to it could be similar to what people describe as a twang when they talk about the sorghum taste in beer but it has this uh, it's kind of like a bit like a sour taste but it's uh, it, it's it's an edgy definitely an edgy taste sorry i don't know how to, better to describe it but you can actually taste the the cyanide in it okay. uh, it's um it, it's, it's it's still i, I mean I, I i my my point is that uh, it never hurts to be cautious right right <laughs> very right. very true yeah okay well, hey,
4: i didn't a question i sell sorghum sorghum malt so
5: Oh yeah,
0: yeah.
2: I actually had a comment on Brian's question. I had when we were talking about making this beer. I had talked to James at Groundbreaker, and he said it was based that what they had found is if they just boil the sorghum, not malted, just boil the sorghum, and on a specific schedule, that it doesn't have that either twang and to avoid the cyanide. So. Right. Mm. Him about that.
3: Well, and I what I would say about sorghum because sorghum
4: malt beers. we huh? use, I said I have not picked up the twang in any of my sorghum malt beers.
3: I think I think that flavor is for some people more of a of a like like the baby vomit or uh, some of the other flavors. Something that some people taste more than other people do. Um, I also have a little bit of a theory because we use sorghum in some of our beers at Beerly. And uh, my theory with sorghum is that some of that metallic taste that people can sometimes get comes from like scorching on the bottom of the kettle. Yeah. Um, we, we don't have any direct heat uh, in our boil kettle because uh, we use all low, low density electric elements. Uh, and so we don't get that scorching. Uh, and and I don't I don't pick up that metallic flavor uh, in in our beers that are made with sorghum. So that's my two cents.
0: Uh, OK, so we are we're at marathon session here. So <laughs> we're white.
2: See what happens when we're apart for so long. <laughs>
0: Um, l- l- I-, I wanted to close it down in the next couple of minutes, but does anyone else have any other questions or comments for Peter, Grant, anyone else?
2: Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Grant. Oh, yeah,
1: no, thank you. Yes, thank you. thank you, nice. you Peter. Uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank, uh, thank you, guys.
5: Oh,
4: it was a great be Following and hopefully getting a system or advice or something from
3: you. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Uh, Peter yeah. have Peter, have you done a lot of um, reaching out to people who are malting gluten-free grains to kind of see what the design of their system looks like in order to, uh, how they've designed them in order to kind of overcome the specific challenges with, with gluten-free stuff? Because I know I've been, I, I don't know what I can say because I might have signed an NDA, but I, I mean, I've, I've been uh, in both Grouse's facility and seen what they're using, which is basically kind of a drum uh, malting setup. Um, yeah. And I've been in uh, in Eckert's malting facility, which is much closer to what you're doing with kind of like a table uh, that mm-hmm. has water that's circulating, and you know he's going to uh, the the uh, yeah. length of the acrospire, and then and yeah. then uh, starting. Like know, the I don't. I don't process. think
5: you have disclosed any secrets. I mean. <laughs> uh, the, um, I, uh, so, sorry, what is his name? Uh, Eckert. Uh, Jim, his Jim, Miss, Eckert Jim Eckert. Yes, thank you. He he's been uh, to uh, you know uh, uh, he he was a guest at one of our club meetings, right? And he he uh, he did uh, talk about his uh, his techniques and and also his equipment, um, but. Um, you know, of course, I have done a lot of research online, uh, whatnot. I think uh, that that's uh, in part why I'm so excited to be able to see and talk to Grant now, because you know we have uh, engaged in a lot of uh, uh, you know online discussion so far. Part, uh, of course, a big part of that was the zero tolerance, uh, um, you know, uh, Facebook threads. But I, I think this is a really small community, right? People who do. Uh, gluten-free home malting and um uh, and uh, but uh honestly i I've, I've been uh maybe a bit foolishly just uh you know uh, going after my own thoughts and experiments and 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 instincts and whatnot and uh, and uh, uh I, you are right it's probably probably uh <laughs> you know time to uh talk more to people about uh, about it and and also listen listen to people with uh, experience and uh, and uh, meaningful uh, thoughts I, but i th- i think uh, i mean I, I don't correct me jp if uh, if i'm wrong but uh, yeah i think it's a super super small community and i, I don't maybe it's different in portland but uh, and <laughs> uh, uh i'm so, sorry i'm just joking here. No, but, uh,
3: I, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. You know, I think, I think that the, I think that in the United States, at least the uh, availability of malt uh, that's commercially malted has really kind of made it a very, very select uh, uh, few that actually want to go after it. I, I yeah. don't know really any, I mean, most of us that talk about it, talk about how we used to look into it, and then grouse came along or Eckert came along yeah. and it's just so much easier to buy from them. Um, yeah, and, but what if everybody uh, that right, I hear right, talking I mean, about if, it? Yeah, what if they didn't? It, and that's the case in Europe yeah, right now, right? Yeah, everybody <laughs> who talks about it is always, you know, in Canada or in or in uh, Australia or in, in Europe uh, they're, where they're malting their own. Absolutely. Yeah.
5: And uh, I, I also when you earlier talked about how masters in the old days they just made you know they just made malt for themselves to sorry brewers, uh, brewers to brew they just made malt for themselves and that uh, I I of course I have some re- literature on malting at home and this was very interesting to you know read read for me how but uh, this was pre pre you know. Uh, uh, the development of uh, uh, natural sciences today, as we know it, and uh, and uh, the, but still they had really good techniques. You know, they had the sound uh, um, uh, troubleshooting, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, I, I think there should be there should a lot of people to uh, be courageous when it comes to malting, you know, that if people were able to make malts, you know, 300 years ago and brew with it, and they were able to do it, you know, a thousand years ago, then I don't, you know, with the abundance of uh, technology and and information that we have today, we don't don't have uh, excuses. We shouldn't have excuses. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I don't want to make us go a super long, uh, long uh, uh, longer meeting, but I think it's, I think it, everybody should hear like really 200 years is as old as like the kind of beer styles that we think of now are no more than 200 years old. Before that, you know, you had the like dark turbid beers, even in Europe that people were producing, you know, Pilsner uh, is a very recent phenomenon, Uh, And Mm. pale malts are a very recent phenomenon Um, being able to separate, to separate your heat source from your actual grain that you're drying. It doesn't go back more than like, what is it? like 400 years grant or something like that. 15, 14 or something. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's all really. So we always talk about the the barley brewers always talk about a 10,000 year history of, of, of beer making, but the beer was really bad for most of that time. It was really like just something to get your nutrients because you were probably, you were probably basically starving and you weren't getting what you needed to live. And so it was helping supplement your diet with this beer and it was making water safe to drink. Is that a way to sell gluten-free beer? (laughs) Yeah. Well, gluten-free beer uh, has been made in, in Africa for 13,000 years. It's just it's not, it's the African tradition. It's very different. It's a very different beverage. Um, But it has, it has actually a longer history making with the ingredient set that we all talk about all the time that we all use, has a longer history and tradition than barley does. But the thing, the innovation that we're living through right now in the last 17 years is applying, uh, is applying continental Europe uh, European brewing styles and standards to bre- beer brewed without barley. That's the innovation. That's what we're talking about uh, these days. That is new. Great point. Great point. Uh... Go ahead, Peter. Go ahead. No,
5: no there's no, sorry, kill. There's no nothing important. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I was going to say, it sounds like, well, I, I hope, Peter, uh, Grant, you guys that are doing this stuff or anyone that that does um, move in the direction of home malting, gluten-free grains. I hope you guys are writing all this stuff down, right? Because uh, it sounds to me like a perfect segue into the next meeting, which is, uh, it sounds like a perfect opportunity to, to have a book about, you know, uh, malting gluten-free grains. And it sounds like that there's you know, differences between all these different grains that, um, that you guys have pointed out through your own experiences, right? Um, It's kind of like a would be a helpful roadmap, right? Uh, For others out there that, that were, were, if they were so to choose to go down that path, it would be really beneficial to kind of stand on the shoulders of you guys that have already gone through that right um so they don't have to make those same mistakes that that you may have already made previously right so i think it's Mm -hmm. great that you guys are doing this it's really cool um and really interesting um and the segue is that in may what uh we're gonna do is we're gonna have bob Kiefer as our guest hopefully i have to confirm that with him he's probably Shocked to know this, but because his <laughs> book, uh, his book that is uh, titled Gluten-Free Brewing uh, from Brewers Publications is set to come out. It was originally supposed to come out uh, on my birthday, July 25th, but apparently I checked it today and the website now says it's going to be released September 26th. Yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm guessing that's of course covid supply chain yada 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 uh but he has a book coming out and i know that uh stewart and i were providing some feedback on some of that stuff and i don't know jp if he hit you up with anything about that book but uh i cannot wait for you guys to see the recipes that are in that
3: book i'm so excited about them yeah I'm so that's so excited totally cool. about the recipes so, really so, and i can't say anything about them I, I i've i've signed that i won't that i won't release them to anybody
0: until they're published <laughs> so hopefully we'll be able to squeeze uh squeeze some information out of bob and he can at least uh you know get on a little bit of a book tour to to get some visibility on that so that's coming um pre-purchase at... your
2: copy too right kale what's that pre-purchase your copy on Amazon. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think yeah, if you yeah, yeah. like, if you pre-order a book, it helps it like get up higher on like bestsellers list or something like that. If you pre-order the book, so I know actually, I think I'm gonna go do that right now because I've got some Amazon gift card money that I'm gonna go pre pre-purchase the book, pre-order the book.
0: There you go. So if you get that uh, extra hundred dollars of Amazon gift card money coming your way in the next uh, few months, just think about Bob, right? He's gonna <laughs> he's gonna put food on the table. Um anyways, no, this is what great. This Bob? is a great meeting. Uh, Peter and I were talking beforehand. I was like, oh we want to keep it under an hour, you know, people get tired. It's yada yada yada. <laughs> and you, you guys we're just going and going and going for now it's over two hours. So I think I'm gonna call it uh thank thank you so much for joining everyone across the world. Um and so again, the next meeting is going to be in two months. We're doing this every two months now, so at the end of May. Um, I, you know, I I try to keep these at times that work for as many people as possible. So maybe this time frame works a little bit better. It's not really beer thirty for me, right? But uh, uh, I think that maybe we'll just continue to have them around this time. So, um, anyways. Happy brewing. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thanks for everyone. Thank you. uh, you Thanks for the time. Thanks,
2: everyone.
4: Thank you. Cheers.
2: Cheers. Bye.
0: Thank you, Peter.